Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Internet DNA with me, Abby. And me, Dan. This week we're going to discuss technology and its role in climate change. Right. So, no small topic. No. It's what's on the tip of everybody's tongue. Not least because of the amazing teenager Greta Thunberg. I give talks in schools to children about the different jobs in tech. I think we've discussed it before, my top tech chunks. And one of the things I talk about is data scientists. And with all this data, how this job is so imperative and going to get more so in the future that if we have people that are able to read these vast amounts of data, then they can see patterns and start to answer questions, give solutions and predictions. So therefore, the more data we collect the more answers we should be able to also collect to help do the right things to reverse the climate change crisis we're in. But there's two things, isn't there? Because technology is also adding to this climate change issue we have. And also, is it just the data that's going to help us? Or is it every side of technology that can help us reduce our emissions, live better, not destroy the planet. So I think the data can allow us to understand how and why it's happening. From there, you can start to develop policies that help people to be less destructive. Also, technology provides the idea of perhaps reversing and cleaning up some of this. In the Pacific, there's a thing called the Central Pacific Gyre, which is where all this plastic lives. And there are people who are designing ships that go out to recollect that plastic and recycle it and turn it back into plastic rather than it floating around in the sea. So there are technological solutions and probably some of this is in around carbon sequestering, recapturing the carbon out of the atmosphere and turning it back into the carbon that we would like to use, recycling technologies, extraction technologies, and also even simple things like designing building things in a much more economic way so that there's not so much waste. So there's a lot of technology that can be put towards the environment in which we live. So in what areas can we use technology to correct things? You talked about buildings and this comes back a little bit to last week and who should create the rules and the ethics. Buildings can be built in such a way that they are so economical with energy. And they're the smart buildings. The building knows what temperature it needs to heat to. It knows about the lights, what level they need to be. And it will change the heating, the lighting, the air conditioning, the environment. I think it can even move furniture and things around to ergonomically suit the people. But also in doing so, make the best use of minimal energy. There are places that aren't just carbon neutral. They're actually carbon negative. And the energy we use, every new house, that is built instead of being built to the cheapest budget should be built to the the budget that's going to have the best energy efficient life so developers shouldn't be looking at oh well, i can get this i can cut the costs here and get this built really cheaply and then it's expensive to heat and run because of the shortcuts taken in the build it should be regulated that it must be a very very low cost to run which may be a slightly larger setup cost but it has that effect and i think we can go through every aspect of our lives, can't we? We can look at 
cars. But then you're going to get into an issue, which is you're going to price people out of the market. What you need to be able to do is to say, we need some housing that people can just afford, that we understand may not be the best we can possibly build, but we will offset that when we build the more expensive houses that they will be super brilliant at doing. Either we're trying to save the world or we're not. And if a house is built to a better spec to mean that the running costs are cheaper. You know, it's about changing habit. How do you stop people from driving four by fours when they don't need to when the thing is is the moment it's in our culture that that's a prestige vehicle if you could change that that it was seen as i mean i, I remember a comedian once said if you could get them renamed as pedo vans no one would drive them <laughs> so what he's doing is making a point which is it's a status thing there's no logic the logical choice would be to go for a super efficient small car a lot of this, we're talking about how technology does it, but actually the real technology in that is messaging and changing people's attitude towards things. And that's quite difficult, I think, to find. Google and Facebook can alter what you see. They do tailor what you see, but it's a much slower change. But what about office blocks? But this is the big argument. And I totally agree with you, which is what we shouldn't be doing is banging up houses that are clearly not in any way positive to humanity. They should be built with their long-term footprint in mind so that you make it economically the choice that you would make. So if you put a tax on diesel cars because they're polluting, you don't have to regulate. People just don't do it anymore because it's more expensive. And unfortunately, that is the way that people move around. The other side of that is you need to deal with how, why people buy things, whether they're buying them for prestige, which is, let's face it, in the Western world especially, that is how consumerism works. You take the same product, you stamp it out in four different ways, and you sell a high-end version and a low-end version. What you need to make sure is that the low-end version is not disastrous for the environment or the human race in general. Because it's not costless, is it? Solar panels aren't costless. It's not like solar panels are all good. There's a certain amount of resources that gets into making them, into producing them, into shipping them. There's no costless way of doing it. So you need to optimize it. I'm sure we could do it already. It's just making it cost effective that it's actually something that people will buy and people will make. And so what is technology's role in climate change then? Is it a negative role or is it a positive role? In time, it will be positive. We've all said this, you know, technology in itself is neither good nor bad. It's how one uses it. If we are going to get to a solution with the planet and climate and ecology, it will be driven out of technology, especially in and around machine learning, AI, really understanding what are the key contributors and how do we stop them from being that, you know, and maybe it becomes a driverless world. And actually, then you can massively optimize, do you need petrol engines anymore? Can it all go electric? Can we optimize electric production so that we only produce exactly the amount of energy that we need and we produce it in the least damaging way possible. Do we do wind and tide and solar? We need to understand that combustion engines will seem not very far away, will seem like a very old technology, a bit like we look at horsepower or steam power. It's a brief moment in time when they have their moment. If we stopped technology, just like yeah. that, tomorrow, not, yeah. no to- technology allowed. All technology's gone, yeah. yeah. Would we be making a massive inroad to delaying climate change? We could add aeroplanes just in there as well while we're at it. 
back to the Middle Ages, back to the Stone no Age. warehouse full of datas, no cloud cloud storage is a yeah. massive no medicines, no hospitals. But no, doctors no, because didn't we got to be really use technology. Clear. Yeah, okay, so they can use a knife and the thing, but we we're not going to be able to a use knife, it. a knife yeah. and a fork. Just, yeah. <laughs> I'll just I have a fork, meal hammer and some leeches, and that's where we are. That's technology for us. <laughs> yeah, but at least the planet would keep going. Well, there's the question, which is one of the really interesting things when you look at the future and where technology is going. Actually, if we optimize for the planet, getting rid of humans might be a really good plan. That's not a great plan for the human race. And that's what we're worried that AI would do. It's a thing that if you get AI where if you told it that its mission is to to optimize, yeah, that it may decide actually one of the best ways to solve climate change is to get rid of these bloody humans. And it would be right. Yeah, it would be right. It might follow on with cows, but anyway, the cows would go anyway if the humans weren't eating them. Well, actually, I've been thinking of this idea for a book where people arrive at this planet and it is just a machine maintaining a planet, but for no one, because everyone's dead. It's killed everyone on its way to creating this perfect planet, generating this wonderful world that no one can live in. But wonderful no to who? Is. So in what well, way no, exactly, would it be wonderful? Wonderful to no one. It's the nowhere man making want... for nobody. I wonder what a machine would think was beautiful. I mean, I imagine, you know, rolling hills, cherry blossom, uh, flowing rivers. What does a machine think is beautiful? Well, it would probably just think about what is the optimal situation where the temperature fluctuation isn't very great, seasons happen, but the water is clean, the air is clean, the soil is enriched, but for who and for what? That's sort of the idea of the book. You get to this planet where it had all been solved by AI. But unfortunately, on its way to solving all the problems, it has actually removed the main component. <laughs> so we've answered our question in technology's role in climate change is just to wipe out the human race. We need to be careful that when we tell it that that's what we want. That we've we got to put a little it. caveat in yeah, there. Yeah, a little caveat. Because, Please you know, solve climate change. I think if you got rid of technology tomorrow, here. you would go yeah. through a huge extinction. You think we would go through an extinction? Why? Not a complete and utter extinction. I can't imagine Europeans being able to live without any technology at all. I think we would die. The internet delivers your food. It it makes your trains run on time. It it does everything that you think happens. It just does it automatically and it optimizes it. And what you'd get is these huge inefficiencies. I think it would be worse. I don't think data centers, I know people like to wibble on about them, but I don't think that they're the biggest problem in the world. They could be better designed. The heat that they produce could then be used to generate the energy that they then use to power themselves. We could build them maybe in places where there's geothermic power. There are solutions to data centers. I don't think getting rid of computers is the answer. So when Greta Thunberg goes to the senators in the stage, you're ruining our lives. You are destroying the future. She's not what are you going to do about it? I what are they going to do about it? It was very important what she said, which is you have to make hard decisions. And by not making them, you are betraying the future of this species because we have to make some hard decisions. We have to decide this is economically difficult. But it is, for the long term of the planet, is absolutely vital. And that's her point, which is you can't keep chasing the money all the time. But at the beginning of this podcast, you said, well, they can't create all houses more environmentally sound because people can't afford them. And now we're just saying we've got to make some hard choices. Either we really need to work to change the carbon and every other output we are doing that's destroying our planet. 
or we do it half-heartedly, which isn't going to work. And we need to get a global government in place so that everybody does it. That's the other problem. Yeah, it's not a binary decision. It's not like we do nothing or we do everything. I sort of think it is, actually. It may be approaching that point. Because there'll always be leaks. So if we don't try and do it 100% and maybe manage 70, if we only try and do it 60%, we'll probably only manage 30 or 20. So here's counter-argument. All of Europe is going to do everything to the utmost ecological position. Yeah, and hopefully by trying to do this, I know it costs a lot of money, but it should also create a lot of jobs and perhaps in itself start creating an industry that can make money from being green. But you're going to get outcompeted by places like Japan and places like America who are not going to do this. Run the risk of collapsing your economy in order to get there. Now, I agree also that once you're there, once you've got to that point, you will then be in a massively advantageous position because you will be so much more advanced. A bit like when we had the steam engine, it gave us that advantage. And I do agree. But I think that politicians are too short term to worry about that it will be good in 30 years. They don't care what it's like in 30 years. And I think that was one of the points. You're betraying the future by not making the decisions now. The issue is, if you try and make it global, there's always someone who doesn't want to do it. And so you have to start off on your own and you don't want to be the only place doing it. So it's getting that agreement. And I think she made a very valid point, which is we can keep kowtowing to companies for the rest of our lives. We'll all get shafted in the end. There's the lobbyists that keep the things that they want going, going. Well, it's sounding more like our doom and gloom podcast that we often do. What you're saying is that governments are playing game of chicken. I'm not going to save the world because they're not going to save the world. Well, I'm not going to save the world because they're not going to save the world. So no one ever is. And historically, Europe is better at trying to do something. We probably won't be in Europe anymore, but I think they have an opportunity to set a standard and to say, we've done it. We've survived it. This is what we're doing. And then you can say, and we're going to tax anything that comes in that is not produced to this standard. Yeah, it does make me cross that you can buy things in the supermarket that are not recyclable. There should be a law. You can only make packaging that is recyclable. And the way to do that is to say, you have to pay for the recycling. When you say to the supermarkets, you buy anything in non-recyclable packaging, you pay tax on it. So plastic bottles become more expensive than glass bottles, for example. Plastic bags become more expensive than hemp bags. Because to be honest, that's all businesses care about. For all their ESG and impact studies, they don't really care. And they will see these as incursions on their profit margin. But in the long term, it's got to be positive that in 50 years we can still buy their stuff rather than all being dead. I think that's the way to do it, but I I don't think you're going to get that kind of work done in a country like England or in a country like America, which has got a much more free market economy, consumerist view. I think it's going to have to come out of a place like Europe where people have a more socialist bent on their outlook. It does need to happen. I just worry that because China and the US are so not interested in it. Isn't Finland going completely renewable energy? Iceland can do it because they've got a lot of geothermal energy. They've got a lot of hydro. They've got a lot of tidal. So they really can do it. There's an argument that we've got tidal right, got wind right, got solar right. Then the UK could get pretty much there. There is always going to be space for nuclear. People don't like it, but actually from an ecological point of view, it's quite low impact. 
the other storage of radioactive materials, but we may find that that's something that we can use again and again and again. Maybe they become a reusable resource. I live very close to a nuclear power station. When yeah. I think about it too hard, it does make me worry. I think your point, it's better that I'm completely destroyed than the people further away that are only partially destroyed. And I don't (laughs) think that's really the big problem with them. For you, if you think about it, would you rather have a massive coal-fired power station seven miles away, belching black smoke all over you every day? It's that against the one in a million chance that it would blow up. Which is not one in a million. It has happened. It happened in Russia. Yeah, but you understand why it happened, and it almost happened in Three Mile Island. But A, that was very early on. B, the Russians, that was a very, very peculiar set of circumstances, Chernobyl. They were putting it through a test phase. It hadn't heated up. It wasn't like someone left a button on and it all blew up. It was a sequence of design choices and operating processes and specific circumstances that happened there. Three Mile Island was much the same. It had people who were used to much smaller nuclear power stations based on submarines, where when you switch them off, they went to an incredibly low power state, whereas in power stations, when you switch them off, they're still producing a vast amount of power. I watch a lot of programs on disasters, not because of the disaster, but it's really interesting to understand no one makes the wrong decision. No one's sitting there maliciously making the wrong decision. They're all doing what they think is best. And it's interesting to understand what kind of processes lead people down ever cascading problems. On a slow burning disaster, once morale goes down in the company because of cuts or whatever it is, people stop wanting to do their job. So they just don't care. And actually, some people actively try and sabotage their jobs because they're so unhappy there. And that's been brought on by maybe their pensions being taken away, or there's been cuts in salary, or they feel they can't get anywhere because there's too much management and not enough workers. Or they realize that what they're trying to do is futile. So they stop caring. And once they stop caring, their mistakes start being made, arguing amongst teams and they're not working together and therefore these mistakes happen and it's this exponential downward direction. Or they're overworked and undertrained. I experience this every day on the trains and you get bits of it in the NHS where we just don't have the money to do the things that we know we should be doing. You can see how companies very quickly, from a moral state, it's easy to lose pride in where you work and what you do. So To go back to our podcast title, what is technology's role in climate change? Its role is to save us all from ourselves. And how is it going to do that? It's going to do it in two ways. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, A, we're going to develop technologies that help to clean up the mess we've already made. And the other side of that is we will develop technologies and models and understanding of the processes that are going on to help us stop doing it more in the future, whether that's through efficiencies, understanding systems, or you can offset doing this. That is where roles of things like machine learning and and AI are going to be really, really important. I mean, you said data scientists, but I actually think a huge amount of this work is going to be done by computers. They can understand patterns so very, very far. And deep learning, they can learn things that you don't tell them. They can start learning, much like a toddler does. They have the potential to save us, the potential to kill us as well. I feel that we're coming out of the age of where we've been enslaved by technology. 
and into the age where it should be freeing up our time. And I hope, therefore, the time that it starts to help us free our planet as well and let it keep not just us living, but the planet living as well. Yeah, the other alternative is obviously that we become machines. Um, <laughs> so we can live in a Mad Max type climate, but as we're machines, it doesn't really matter yeah. anyway. Or we're all sitting in pods and living in our yeah. lovely virtual world. So exactly. again, so, it doesn't matter that yeah, there is so, nothing. We're in a dome to stop us being destroyed by the atmosphere. But apart from that, we're not really on the planet at all. Yeah, like Judge Dredd style. Great. Yeah, sounds well, good, doesn't it? I'm yeah. To it. <laughs> I'm glad we sorted that one out. <laughs> and that's all we've got time for. Look forward to speaking to you next week. I will speak to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.